Welcome back to Married with Children. A very exciting episode today as we do have uh, both candidates uh, from the Indiana House District 69 race. Uh, joining us first in part one here is Jim Lucas, uh, the incumbent in District 69, and we're going to get a chance to kind of talk to him uh, about the campaign, about what he plans to do if he is reelected here coming up uh, next week, November 6th. So, uh, you know, an important time here. And again, the main thing I can say about all of it is get out and vote and exercise your right. So before we get started, I do want to thank our sponsors. Uh, first, Miller's Termite and Pest Control. Miller's Termite and Pest Control is the only place you need to look for pest control. Don't get roped into contracts or high prices with the big companies. Reach out to someone who cares about you. They can handle any problem from termites, bed bugs, ants, spiders, etc. They also do lawn care. Where else can you keep the bugs out of your house and your yard looking sharp? Reach out to them today on Facebook at Miller's Termite and Pest Control. Email at pest underscore in underscore peace at yahoo.com or by phone at 812-767-5657. And also Tommy Taylor at Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance. Tommy Taylor, Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance. Tommy is an agent at Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance. He can provide you with auto, home, life, commercial, farm, and does it with a personal touch that you just can't get with other insurance companies. For any insurance needs you may have, Tommy has the capability to provide you with the right amount of coverage. Not only is he a multi-line agent that can keep all of your insurance in one place, he is also a dedicated individual who is customer service focused and always puts the customer's best interest first. His mission is to provide each and every customer with a simple process that is easy to understand and to ensure you and your family are properly covered if and when the unexpected occurs. Tommy is not just a sponsor of the podcast. He is my family's insurance agent and should be yours too. Give him a call, shoot him an email, or message him on Facebook, and he will be happy to take care of any of your insurance needs. Contact information for Tommy. You can contact him at 812-372-4483 at extension 2447. And remember to tell him that APR Podcast sent you. All right, and like I said, we are blessed to have uh, current Indiana District House 69 uh, representative Jim Lucas in studio with us. Jim, thanks again for joining us. Oh, always a pleasure, Dustin. Thanks for having me. And uh, Jim, if some of you have been listening with us for a while, Jim uh, came in back in the uh, the fall prior to the primary election. In the spring, right? Spring, yes. It is the fall. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I've got my whole world twisted <laughs> Just up. making sure. I'm like, I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back in the spring prior to the primaries um and joined us and uh, i reached out to him again and wanted to get a chance to talk to him here headed into the general election um so jim since we've seen you last in the primary kind of what's going on in your world i know you've got a lot of things that you're working on right now oh wow um gun rights is always a big one for me i'll, I'll never give up on those to me our second amendment rights are probably our most important because everybody talks about life liberty and property but if you can't defend them then you can't keep them so um, but I've also taken up a, a couple more issues that are very near and dear to me as equally important as our gun rights, and that's uh, the CBD, hemp, mm -hmm. industrial hemp, and uh, medical cannabis. And that has been quite the interesting journey, to say the <laughs> least. And that's kind of a, a three-part thing there, too, because CBD is one thing. 
the the industrial hemp and what it could do for us as far as an economy and agriculture and then the medical cannabis is like a whole nother step is it's and i think far too often those that are you know anti-hemp or anti-cannabis anti-cbd they lump all of those together in one group as the as the evil plant i guess would be the way to say it sadly so i mean you're correct but that's getting much better and they are two two completely different um, issues and topics the cbd issue i got into this when um, the state of indiana could not figure out if cbd oil was legal or illegal and i used to be indifferent but you know that got to be such an issue i started educating myself on it and seeing all the benefits that people were were realizing with cbd Mm-hmm. And the more I educated myself on it, the more convinced I became that it was the right thing to do. So last session, there I believe there were 10 pieces of legislation that dealt with legalizing CBD. My legislation was the only one that allowed the farmer to grow hemp, which, as you stated earlier, would bring a completely new industry to Indiana. Mm-hmm. You know, give farmers right. the option. But then you, you have, you know, obviously farmers could grow it. I think Indiana's growing 15 acres of it right now, Kentucky is at 16,000 um, and they just keep growing exponentially. Colorado's at 29,000 going to 40,000. I mean, it's yeah. just huge. But the, the things that you can make out of industrial hemp are just almost limitless. I think there's over 25,000 different uses. But And I, there's not much waste of the plant either. Oh, no, no. Like every part of the plant has correct. a purpose. I have a door panel that a it's sitting in my office at the state house made entirely out of hemp. A, a gentleman owns a auto parts manufacturing here in the state and he's buying 40 tons of industrial hemp a week from overseas just to make parts out of it Mm -hmm. it's replacing plastic and to keep just that one manufacturer supplied would would a farm of four thousand acres so do the math right and indiana is the number one manufacturing state in the nation we're one of the top agricultural states in the nation and Mm -hmm. we have purdue university which is one of the top technology and agricultural universities on the planet so if I were governor, you give me those three things and Katie bar the door. I'm making Indiana the number one, uh, the hemp capital of the world. Yeah. And there's no reason for us to not get involved in hemp. Um, I had legislation last year, got it through the House unanimous, through the committee and then through the House. It went over the Senate. Um, started to get toyed around with a little bit. Some things got added to it that I didn't like in the process. So at the end, um, I had the power. I killed my own bill. And, you know, I, I would rather kill a bill that I wasn't comfortable with and then and come back and start over then yeah. have to tweak an ugly bill that somehow made it through the cracks mm-hmm. but in my education process on hemp it, it the natural segue from there is medical cannabis because they are they are related even though they're different plants um, industrial hemp by federal definition is three tenths or less percent thc content okay okay anything above that is considered cannabis well um, the fascinating thing about cannabis there are so many different strains out there uh, you know, it's it's like alcohol. You know, people say, well, I tried alcohol one time. I didn't like it. Well, did you try liquor? You know, bourbon, gin, vodka, mm-hmm. rum, tequila, or wine, red wine, white wine, you know, how many yeah. wines, or beer. You know. And even then, the quality level that oh, you try. You've, I got, mean. you've got your single barrel or, you know, your, your Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Though, going back to high school days, which will prohibit me from ever getting a Supreme Court justice seat. But <laughs> I digress. No, but... Uh, seeing the strains out there and i recently in in august i took a trip to colorado you know we keep hearing all these horror stories how you know 
all these stoners are everywhere and you know society's collapsing and falling apart and it's falling into all the kids hands and and it's falling in all the kids hands well i'll address that in a second too um you know i went out there i saw none of that not to say that it doesn't happen would be misleading it does happen but is is it prevalent no but you know responsible people were using it responsibly and people are going to abuse it are going to abuse it there's no two ways around laws or no laws and you know yes we want to keep it out of the hands of children of course any moral human being wants to but just like alcohol you know you have to be 21 to drink we see how that's working and right. anybody that wants cannabis you can buy you can go to any middle school in indiana and and, and buy it so to sit there and say use that as an excuse to you know to prevent good people from uh, realizing the benefits of it to me is immoral and wrong but seeing for myself i even tried it you know i did i went out there i wanted to see what it, all the, the talk was about i went into a state sanctioned um, dispensary and purchased a legal product that colorado recognizes the rights of responsible adults to do um, talked to very very knowledgeable people within the industry you know it was really cool i went up there and, and the lady asked me um, she goes, what, what do you want to accomplish with this? I said, well, I have trouble sleeping. You know, insomnia, I'm 54. I've worked all my life. My body aches and pains. She said, I got just the strain for you. And she said, you know, try this about a half hour, an hour before you go to bed. And that should do the trick. And you know what? That was the best night's sleep I ever had. Um, I slept like a baby. Woke up the next day. Actually felt good because my body got rest. Mm-hmm. And I was in a good mood, which makes you more pleasant to be around. I was yeah. more productive. And I didn't feel bad. You know, another thing I wanted to experiment with, I wanted to see how impaired I could actually get. So I I consumed to the point where I just literally, I, I cannot do anymore. And like, okay, here's, you know, see how this happens the next day. I'll see, wake up, you know, with a hangover or something like that. Again, excellent night's sleep. I woke up before the alarm clock went off no hangover felt great and so uh but that was me intentionally abusing it right just to see right. the effects but you know i'm talking in the dispensaries uh i'll throw out a rough number you go in there and see maybe 50 people there were two people that probably fit the classic definition of a stoner when we were talking they were super friendly yeah they were impaired <laughs> but they were happy they were laughing and you know we had a great conversation the rest of the people were people such as ourselves and, mm-hmm. and elderly. I was amazed at the elderly people, you know, that were doing it because elderly people really have a, a hard time sometimes with with prescription medications. You know, the side effects, the and uh, right. how it affects their body. There were elderly people out there that were more interested in, in a daily regimen of cannabis and weaning themselves off of prescription medication. Hmm. So, and let's go down that road because, and I know I've I've seen some of the things you've posted and talked about because we have an opioid crisis right now across the nation, but specifically here in the state of Indiana that has led to a heroin crisis uh, to make up for a lot of those opioids. This is a way to, to I, I can't say totally solve, but this is a way to correct a lot of that issue. We, we, we will never solve the issue because, you know, how do you stop? people from doing things to themselves short of locking them up you know in a free society people are free to do things you know and and that's the way it should be but they must be aware of the consequences but you know on the opioid issue last year i believe there were over 1800 hoosiers that lost their lives you know with overdose now the fascinating thing in the journal of american medical association jama has a report 
that shows the facts of the states, I believe there's 31 now, the states that have medical cannabis see an average, an average 25% decrease in opioid deaths. So right there, that's almost, what, 450? Hoosier lives that could have been saved had we adopted my medical cannabis legislation last year. And to me, it's tough to, to sit here and not say, how do you look at those numbers and not say that it's it's worth it? Even if there are some other side effects that are going to, or some things like we talked about that we got to try and keep it out of the hands sure. of children and, and those kind of things. But how do you not push for it when the, you see those effects? That's what's, uh, to me, it's incomprehensible. I, I do not understand that because one, we know that the Israelis, they've had the luxury of not having cannabis as a schedule one drug. Right. Order. So they've been studying this for decades. And in the nineties, um, they discovered the largest system of receptors in our body is the endocannabinoid system our bodies are literally designed to work with cannabis and the the fascinating thing is you cannot die from an overdose on cannabis you know you overdose on opioids or alcohol you either quit breathing your heart stops beating well we don't have cannabinoid receptors in our cardiovascular or respiratory system so you you can't die from it now you can feel bad but you know if, if you overconsume too much thc you take cbd that brings it down mm -hmm. and negates the effects so it's a very safe medication and we're seeing people wean themselves off of prescription drugs now i'm not i want to make it crystal clear i'm not saying prescription drugs are bad you know they have their use obviously and and doctors are trained in the use of them and the prescription of them the amounts but we all know they carry side effects you know some of the uh, the more serious side effects of cannabis are uh, paranoia Okay, so the next time, don't take as much. You won't be as paranoid, but you're going to live through it. Munchies, you know, um, excitability, relaxation, um, good mood. Boy, you know, those are horrible side effects, right? <laughs> so, but again, it's not the end-all, be-all for everybody. It has its uses, but the thing is, I, I think it is wrong of our state government to not only make this available to people to you know to doctors put another tool in the toolbox worse yet we're criminalizing people that are merely using a natural plant to make them feel better and give them a better quality of life and i was going to say and i think you'll agree with this statement um you know it's not for everybody and that's okay but you being a constitutionalist and, and believing in the freedoms that we have it needs to be an option absolutely you, you know can what? you can make that choice whether you want to use it or not, but I should be allowed with my freedom to make the choice whether I want to. Just like anything else, you know, if you don't like it, don't do it. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of, I mean, like alcohol. I mean, obviously there's some people that just don't want to do it and that's totally fine. Uh, I mean, and there's people that do and that's fine too. But don't abuse it. You know, right. uh, 90,000 people die each year from alcohol. Okay, but you, know, you look at any city council local you know government unit they're encouraging to revitalize their downtowns they're encouraging brew pubs to come in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a good thing right you know, i'm not knocking that but i'm like okay we're state government local government we're actually pushing the expansion of alcohol you know we recently i think we were the last state to do it sunday alcohol sales yeah but that kind of shows the timeline you know cannabis has been used and studied for thousands of years so that kind of fits in with the indiana timeline of getting something done so, which is frustrating but yeah. Um, you know, nobody wants to see kids. You know, in Colorado, I was in Vegas for a gaming convention. Um, and, you know, th they're a recreational state. But the place, just like liquor stores, you have to be 21. You know, And they are actually more strict than the liquor stores here. 
out there because losing the license, you know, the punishment so much more severe mm-hmm. you, if you sell to somebody under 21, which it should be. Yeah. And, and I'm all for that. And we don't want kids to get it. But to sit there and think that keeping it criminalized is going to stop kids from getting it is, is that's a cruel joke that we're you know right. continuing. Yeah. Well, and I know that a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I, I also think that when you decriminalize it, the cool factor goes away from it, you know? Sure. And when when grandma's doing it because of grandma's true pains or, you know, the elderly are using it as a medicine, it's not as cool as fit at 15, 16 years old to Because to I be saw doing grandma doing thing. it. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes that away from yeah. it. Well, the studies have shown, everybody says Colorado, you know, they, they, they portray Colorado as the Wild West. And what Colorado, actually, teen use is below national average in Colorado. Really? Yeah. And... and Again, those kids that want it are getting it right now. But the, the yeah. sad part is, what quality are they getting? You right. Know, does it have fentanyl in it? You know, what's it cut with? Um, where are they getting it? You know, the packaging of a, a state-sanctioned state, be it medical or recreational, um, you're getting professional packaging. You know exactly what's in it. Um, this, my legislation, uh, and Indiana's in a really great spot here because we have... We have 31 states that have medical, and I believe it's 10 other states with recreational. Canada just went full-blown wreck on October 17th. Michigan has it on their ballot to vote on it, which they'll probably go because it's polling over two to one. But we have all these other states to pick and choose best practices from. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to start from scratch and reinvent the right. wheel. And that's what my legislation did last year. I went around, saw what was working, what yep. wasn't working. Illinois recently expanded their program. And, you know, the fascinating thing is every state that makes a medical you know makes that jump to medical not one has rescinded it yet so again if it was as bad as what uh, indiana prosecuting attorneys saying and you know i know attorney general curtis hill he's come out on record against if it's as bad as what you guys are saying why aren't these states pulling back from it after they've used it for you know x amount of time why aren't they well that's if it's so awful yeah that's the neat thing people get in there like wow you know this isn't what everybody's been saying for decades but that's what we're fighting. We're, we're fighting decades-long stigma that's entrenched that people just can't get past the point, well, I don't want a bunch of people, stoners smoking pot. When there's so many other ways of ingesting it, you know, you have tinctures, eye drops, uh, vaporizers, just like uh, asthmatics. Mm-hmm. You know, they take um, edibles. They're very good. Um, creams, migraines. Uh, people, they make a THC cream. People get migraines, rub on your temples. 20 minutes later, it's gone. I mean, it is amazing. What do you think is behind those, you know, the attorney generals and some of those state reps or or state senators that just have such a standoff against it? In the spirit of maintaining as positive attitude as possible, I'm going to say it's it's simply stigma. Okay. They're, They're clinging to stigma, and that's the only thing because when you educate yourself on this and i'm doing everything i can i've started a website jimlucas.org for people to go to and it has research and studies and data and everything's credible and it's verified and and people can educate themselves at at their own pace cool but but when you see i mean the truth facts reason logic okay educate yourself on it try it go to state and try it you know i encourage people to do their own thing um but again look at the other states that are doing it you know where now is it problem free no you know of course there's going to be issues with it well but even like you said you can look at some of the other states and say okay well maybe here's some of the issues and and maybe as we kind of go through try and uh get ahead of it i guess but but again we're a free country yeah you know that's number one we 
I think we've lost sight of a lot of that. We are a free country, and we have the Constitution that recognizes and protects our individual rights. Um, the states have a right. You know, I know there are some in, higher up in government that say they don't want to do anything until the federal government, you know, makes a move on. Well, that's, that's not how the Constitution's no, written. Right. Uh, you know, if, if we're going to be, if you want to be a state leader and you want to wait around for the federal government mm-hmm. to do something right, then, you know, move on. Good <laughs> Lord, I mean... That drives yeah. me nuts. Uh, we need to do what's right for Hoosiers. That's what we're yeah. elected for when we take an oath to the Constitution and step up and either lead, follow, or you know, get the hell out of the way. Yeah. But this is something we need to lead on because, one, it's been proven and shown to save lives. Uh, it can bring a better quality of life to literally millions of Hoosiers. And on the flip side, you know, it, it, it can be used recreationally in a very enjoyable manner, at, at responsible. I want to I make that keyword, you know, responsible use. But it's time to be intellectually honest about this and have an honest conversation. And, and thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, no, I pre- I love it. I mean, I, I like I like hearing because I'm not as educated or, you know, with it. And so, I mean, I do think you putting, like you said, the website and stuff that you can look at and read it. And I mean, just to kind of try and understand it. So. Oh, it's really in Illinois. I toured their, their cultivation facility and they had a poster on the wall and it, a daily program, daily use of people. You know, I know people are freaking out right now. Oh my God, you're going to use pot every day. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> the daily program was called rise, refresh, relax, rise. Okay. I drink coffee. You know, sometimes you get excited. I'll drink three or four cups of coffee, which you're really alert, but now I've really got the jitters. Yeah. Okay. There's a strain. There's there's two different types of, of cannabis. You you have your sativa, which is more of a, a stimulant, and then your indica, which is more of a relaxant. Well, instead of that five cups of coffee, you know, a small micro dose of sativa, and now you're like hyper alert. You're not impaired, but you feel good and you're, you know, ready to go and you're productive and, and you're in a good mood. Okay. Then the, the refresh is an afternoon, you know, uh, again, a microdose of something in the afternoon, uh, stressing responsibility and not impairment. You know, somebody will go out and, and drink a five hour energy drink or a Red Bull. Well, chug five Red Bulls and see what that does for your heart right. and blood pressure. Or you can do a microdose of a, a nice hybrid. Then of an evening, instead of popping an Ambien, which, you know, you build a tolerance to and the side effects for that can be debilitating, not, you know, to your body and your health and your organs. You know, find a nice indica brand, um, an edible. If you don't want to smoke it and don't do a vape pen or a drop, you know, they, they make powders you can put in a drink. Mix it in with a drink or, or take a, an edible. And if an edible is too much, cut it in half. Mm. Do a half portion. Yeah. It, and you do that every day. But we take drugs every day right now. And I encourage people, look at the side effects on these drugs that you're taking. Mm. Or you can, you know, possibly substitute that with a natural plant whose side effects are incredibly less, and it's a lot healthier for you. But again, it's stressing responsible use. Well, and that's something that that her and I, we've had a lot of really interesting conversations because she hasn't studied it as much as I have, and it's something that really interests me because I've seen, you know, the documentaries and what it can do for people medically. And and her and I have had that conversation in, you know, you take medicine that's prescribed by the doctor. And again, I'm not pushing, I'm not putting down any doctor or, or pharmaceuticals because they're trained to do it but we don't ever ask questions when the doctor says i'm prescribing you this i say oh okay good idea and i go take it but we turn away from a natural plant that could could offer us the same benefits without the side effects so and it does it it takes getting away from the stigma and and learning it's it's 
hard to figure out, I mean, a society, again, if we accept doctors prescribing Oxycontin to kids and hydrocodone. Okay, which that's fine. If doctor feels that child could benefit from it, we have to trust in our medical, you know, professionals to do that. But then we can't trust an adult, you know, with a plant that the side effects are incredibly less. You know, I've down at my business in Seymour last year, and this is happening more and more often because people know that I'm out here fighting for it, so I'm kind of recognized for that. I had an elderly gentleman come into my shop, never saw this guy before. And uh, he come in and he started crying. And he, he thanked me. He said, I can't thank you enough for taking up this fight. He said, you know, I'm a veteran and cannabis is the only thing that works for me. And he said, I'm tired of feeling like a criminal. You know, and when you have people come up and do that, I had a father from out of town. He was in Seymour. He stopped by at the shop and he told me his daughter passed away from cancer. And the drugs that they were, she was in hospice and the, and the drugs they were giving her, she was just basically, you know, a zombie. Yeah. And, but it wasn't helping with her pain. And somebody there at hospice said, hey, you need to try marijuana. And it was off the record. And, and they told him, and, and he goes, you know, I kind of felt funny because it's illegal. But yeah. you know, that's your child sitting there suffering. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there she of course I'm going to do it. And he said, we did it. He said, my daughter, she was cognizant. You know, her last days, even though she, she ended up passing, but her pain was bearable. Um, she, she had quality of life. She had quality yeah. of life. She days. was able to eat. You know, she could eat and drink, and we had some, you know, memories with her there at the end. Mm. And that, when you hear stories like that and people telling you, you know, crying, and that that really, that tells you you're doing the right thing. And I, and I think that's, and I saw that post that you made on Facebook the other day about that gentleman and his daughter, and that yes. was the same thing that I thought. I thought, here's this guy, and I would be in the same boat because of my, my profession and my job. Yeah. And the stigma that's with it. But if my son was going through that, I would 100% oh. break the law and risk everything to, to give him as much quality of life as I could. Sure. And and I know that's probably not a popular opinion that a lot of people would hear. But, but I think any parent faced in that situation, your kid comes first. And, and I and I felt awful when I read that post and thinking about that right. dad, yeah. you know, wondering, am I doing the right thing? Absolutely you are. What moral human being wouldn't? Yeah. You know, and, and in a case like that, I'm not encouraging lawlessness or anything like that, but uh, Bastiat, who wrote a short essay called The Law, Frederick, Frederick Bastiat, one of my favorite quotes, for the law to be respected, um, it must be respectable. When the law and morality contradict each other, the citizen has the cruel alternative of either losing his moral sense or losing his respect for the law. And, you know, the, the, the most perfect example I can think of that is slavery. You know, slavery used to be legal. Well, one of the most horrible acts on earth, you know, and that was a very dark chapter in America's history, mm -hmm. but it's part of history. Right. It's a fact. There's no getting around it. You know, and people that ran the underground railroads were breaking the law. Yep. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm not comparing cannabis to slavery. You know, again, slavery is, is horrible, 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 but there are times when the law is just simply wrong. Right. And, and again, we are, we're keeping good people from enjoying a better quality of life or even saving lives but but worse yet we're making criminals out of them and that's wrong well and, and i appreciate all the talk about that but jim i do want to also ask you about some of the you know the other issues other things that you know if if you are reelected, what you plan to uh to push outside of the the cannabis cbd and, and industrial hemp well gun rights are a big one i I'm, I'm never quit fighting for those um, I want farmers to be able to have the option of in, of growing industrial hemp. 
so hemp's a big one. Cannabis is obviously going to be a big one. Education's coming up. Education is always an issue. And, you know, everybody knows we can... The, I step almost said a dirty word in front of it, but <laughs> the, the I step we keep having troubles with, and we're converting to some. You know, I learn now, which okay, are, are we putting a different dress on the pig? You know, that's one of the things. My personal opinion, one hundred percent. I but. know, and, and, and it is frustrating. Um, we're seeing the amount of money. We have enough money going into education, I, and I know my opponent. Uh, he says he wants to fully fund education. Well, I'd like to know what that amount is. What is fully funded? But when you look at the amount of money we have going into it, but the bad part is, let's break that down. How much is actually making it to the classroom? You know, that's it's getting less and less each year. I think it's uh, 57 cents of every dollar only makes it to the classroom. Well, you know, those are your teachers. The teachers are the ones that are in the trenches. They're on the front lines. Those are the people that we need to be supporting the most. But all this money, we keep putting money into it, our administration is just exploding. You know, non-teaching staff, um, administration, administration, assistants, you know, people like that. I'm not saying they're bad, but, you know, when we're getting a huge growth in administration and a even less growth in teachers, but your student population is barely growing, you know, something's askew there. So we have to look at that. Um, we recently passed legislation a couple of years ago. It's taking effect that gives the the local school corporations much greater control over their finances. Mm-hmm. You know, we took away the silos, the funding. And it's like, okay, there's your money. And, and but the thing is, what if you have a, a corporation that's not good at managing that money, or they misdirect it? You know, that doesn't do the teachers any good. So the the challenge is, how do you maintain a government-run system and try to make it as efficient as possible because that's an oxymoron. You know, generally anything government-run is just bureaucratic, it's inefficient, bloated, and generally not nearly as good as what the private sector can do. I'm going to ask you this directly, and I don't want you to take it the wrong way, but I know it's something that... that that the counter the counter side that is you know that's against you and jim i'm gonna be honest i both you know both of us are educators yep. and, thank you and and i'm the kind of person very similar to you um who probably two or three years ago didn't even take the time to to look at your points or understand them and since we've been doing this i wanted you to come on and i've had some some of my colleagues that are like you're really having jim lucas on he hates education i'm like i'm like i'm gonna sit down and talk to him i mean the the thing is is you and i will never see eye to eye on everything and i'm Mm -hmm. okay with that but the the crazy thing that i've told a lot of people is the more that we have talked we're a lot closer than i ever thought we were and and that's the idea of education Mm -hmm. and i love your operation education that you put out and those kind of things so here's what i'm gonna ask though People think you're totally against public education, that you, you want to do away with public education is the, the thing I hear. How would you respond to somebody that says that? Thank you for asking that. No, I am not. I am 100% education, for education. But what a lot of people either fail to grasp or don't understand that under our current system, public education is government run, period. They're... they're there's no escaping that it's the system that will never by by its virtue of being government run will never be that efficient that cost effective or non-bureaucratic period because 
I could have teachers from any public school bring me a bill. So here, this is this is the perfect bill we want. Okay, and I submit it. Now what I've done, I've just submitted that bill to the government process. Okay, where it goes in, it goes to a committee where it could be amended. And you've got 149 other elected officials throwing their little goodies in or taking something out. It makes it out of committee. Then it goes to the House floor where it can be amended. And then it goes through the process. And if it survives, okay, in whatever form, mid-session, it goes over to the Senate where it does the same thing. And that's the process that government education is subjected to. Now, what I have a hard time understanding is why do you guys want to keep that where every two years we're changing stuff around? Now, people can hate me all they want, but I'm don't shoot the messenger. That's the system we have. Now, I don't want to do away with public education, but I name me any other system like the doctor or grocery store or you guys go out to eat where you are you are forced to go to this one location because of where you live. No other we don't do that with anywhere else, with anything else. Okay? Now, my idea of education is to free the teachers up because I'm sure you guys are great teachers, and thank God for teachers, not just public, all teachers. Thank you, God, because without great teachers, we wouldn't be the great country we are, mm-hmm. okay? But I, I don't understand why the, the people that are so entrenched in the, the public system keep demanding for the more chains and more shackles because that's what we're doing to you. You know, I would love to see you guys freed up. If, if you wanted... Um, under a voucher or tax credit or voucher, say every kid, I'm going to use rough numbers, 10000 bucks. Okay, instead of that money, instead of the state depositing that money into the local corporation where your child has to go by virtue of geography, okay, that money went into a parent savings account. Okay, but the parent could only use a, you know, a state-approved um, either tutor or facilities. Say you guys want to get together with a few other teachers, start your own academy. You could do that. Now advertise your services. Okay, unencumbered by me every two years changing, you know, hey, it's going to be I learn this. this mm-hmm. Okay, you do your own thing. And just like any other business, I'm a small business owner. We're successful because I'm able to react to market demands, you know, what's coming out, what's new. I stay on top of that. I, you know, I have great people that do that. Now, teachers, there's, you're providing a service. Now, yes, it's an incredibly valuable service, but it's a service nonetheless. Now, you can't react in a way. If, if you were to get on a website tonight and you find you know, the Khan Academy, you know, teaching a, a mm-hmm. new way of teaching math, you're like, hey, I want to incorporate that. I'm sure there's a long, lengthy process you have to go to convince people that, hey, I'm going to change things midstream and how I teach math. This is the way I want to do it. But you're no longer teaching at a grade base level where you have kids with special needs all the way up to gifted and talented, and you've got one teacher teaching 30 kids with varying different needs that learn at a different pace, you know, with different interest. You know, you could tailor it now. And when you say that, my, my question is, would you see it as, you know, talking about us opening an academy or whatever, would would the state standards and expectation be taken off and the, the standardized testing and all that stuff, the, the, the government portion that we're talking sure. about, to where – now it's my job just like you and your small business you've got to please the customer to to get more Bingo. customers you know state standards okay state standards for who or third graders we have what about 75 80,000 kids in a, in a class mm-hmm. okay <laughs> look at the range 
you know, of say a 12 year old. Again, you have kids with special needs. Now those, those kids would get much more focused attention. You have kids that are gifted and talented. Okay, now we can keep up with them. Keep up with them. And let the parents decide. Because I've sat through, I mean, committee hearing after hearing after hearing and listen to the parents. You know, teachers always say, let me teach. I'm trying to. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do with, with my system. But you guys keep begging for these government controls. But, but the parents would come in, and it was amazing. They didn't care what the grade of the school was, whether it's A, C, F. They went in and talked to the, the teachers, and they looked at the curriculum, and, they, and they, they determined, you know what, this is what's best for my child. Okay, because you guys, we, government, is, is throwing a, a grade on you guys that has so many variables, and we keep trying to figure it out. You know, this, I've been up there six years. Hopefully I'm going back for a fourth term. And I've, you know, I've seen all this, and I've evolved, and I listen. And it, but I went into this being a small government person, and it's confirmed my worst nightmares after being up there so long. You know, we keep trying to change this. And all we're doing, we're pushing in on the balloon here, and it's bulging out everywhere else. And education is, is the epitome of that, government interference. And it's, it's very, very frustrating because now, after six years, you know, when I went in in 2012, there was a child starting first grade. They're going into junior high now. Mm-hmm. And we're still trying to figure it out. But it's not just us. You know, yes, Republicans had a supermajority in both houses. Okay, the Democrats pretty much ruled before that. Both parties are at fault. But, you know, it, I'm not going to play the game. It's government. This is government run. And that's what you get. But uh, and the people that say, well, what about the kids whose parents just don't care? You know, with the system that would develop from something like that by teachers having the freedom, those are the kids that are going to benefit the most. You know, because now they have a system that is more tailored to their specific needs. And we have teachers that you guys care. You didn't get into this for the money, did you? You got Because you wanted to teach. You love kids. Okay, and thank God. Hats off to you guys for doing that. And I know there are people out there. There are people that love working with special needs kids. I, I couldn't do that. I don't have that that makeup, you know. I'm not wired for that, but thank God there are people like that. Mm-hmm. So, those are the people we need to be supporting, and quit tying your hands with government-run system. But nothing's going to change. You know, we keep, we keep keeping we keep letting government dictate to us. We're going to just keep getting more of the same. I'm going to ask you this because it's it's similar to the the question about cannabis. But why do you think that you've been made out to be this anti-education? candidate because i'm outspoken on it and you know i'm not again i'm not anti-public education the public you know they're the ones with the nice facilities and a free market system they've already got such an incredible head start with the football fields and the baseball diamonds and soccer great and you know chances are you're going to keep most of your students and if some leave i've lost business before but you know a lot of them come back because the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence but what a lot of people either fail to realize or won't acknowledge with with that competition it's just like rights and responsibility to me they're inseparable okay if we're going to have choice you guys have to have the freedom to do the, do your thing okay so yes parents would now in my system have the ability to choose where their children go but you guys gain so much more freedom of doing your thing and us backing out of because the Indiana Supreme Court's already ruled unanimously that vouchers don't go to a school they go to a parent because that that you know whole Christian education thing mm-hmm. so hard parts over 
you know, we've crossed the legal hurdle of the Indiana Supreme Court that has determined vouchers go to the parent. Okay, so now the parent's in charge. And, you know, one of the biggest complaints I hear from teachers is, well, how can you hold me accountable when the parents aren't involved? Well, this is the ultimate system of involving the parent. You know, now it's in their lap. Nobody else's. It is in their lap. But with you guys having the freedom to try different things, you know, and there's going to be failure. Well, good. You know, I, failure's a good thing sometimes. That, that's what teaches you. I also I want to ask you about this, and you posted about it, but I want to give you a chance to talk about it on here because, and this wasn't our district, this was District 72, but there was a, a post about vouchers affecting all public schools, and it was claiming that New Albany Floyd County schools lost one point, basically $7 million due to the voucher program. And I know you had some comments when you posted, which I've read, but I wanted to give you that chance to, to comment back to that because I'll be honest, I think you made – and I'll, I'm going to get killed when this comes out and I walk back in a public school. But I think you made some good points there. So I wanted to give you that opportunity to at least respond to that. Okay, public education has to quit saying they lost money. It's not their money. It's the taxpayer's money. Okay? Um, public education gets over 97% of education dollars. And it, it amazes me that that's the sword they choose to die on is vouchers. Um, vouchers are less than three percent of our, our of our public budget. Okay, vouchers are also every parent making a choice in their child's taxpayer-funded education. So that's a parental involvement. Vouchers are income-based. Okay, and of that money that they they say that system lost, that money that one point seven million is that the amount you. Yes, it was one point okay. seven. Yeah. That would have resorted back to the general fund, the public education mm-hmm. fund, which is about a buck seventy per student. So again, if 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 that's the sword you guys want to die on, and you you keep want to you want to keep charging that hill, I'll fight you every day of the week on that, and just point out you know the truth, facts, reason, and logic. And and I appreciate that because I also want to say and I and I don't want you, Jim. I don't want you at all feel attacked. Oh, I no, want to no, no. I want to give you. I'm a big boy. I want to give you a chance because <laughs> I can take it. I'm like good. like well, and I know you can, but <laughs> yeah. but like I said, I I'm probably the one that that will at least say I'll sit down and talk to him about it. I'll ask <laughs> sure. you the questions um, because I I have since you came on in the spring. I've read more of your Facebook posts than probably any public educator in the state of Indiana. Because I do appreciate your perspective. We don't always agree, um, but I appreciate your perspective. But, you know, the Indiana Coalition for Public Education also came came out against you um, after you had, which which we actually talked about on another episode, which is why I asked some of the questions earlier that, you know, half of our state budget, you made a post, goes to public education or goes to education, I should say, and only 46% of students in grades three to eight. But they said... Um, their comment was this man decides education policy that affects our public schools. This is reflective of those in control of education policy. How will you vote in November? More of the same. It's time to vote for your teachers, your students, your community, public schools. Your school could be the next on the chopping block. How much more will it take for Indiana's teachers? Again, I just want to give you that opportunity. You're, you're not trying to chop education. And, and, and I guess I read this post differently when you talked about that half of the budget goes in and only 46%, I didn't read that as an attack on me as a school administrator or on my wife as a school, as a high school math teacher. I read that as a problem with the I-STEP test 
as you know what we're being asked to do and the the government run portion of it not on us personally so Uh, look here are the facts okay we have government run government runs education right okay government determines how much money goes into education okay government sets its own testing standards correct so government controls everything government we have um, compulsory attendance so kids have to go to school you talk about a captive market now in this government-run system where government runs everything, okay, it's customers, students, can't meet government's own standards in a system that government controls. Now, why do we want to keep having government in charge of education? We've been trying to reform government education for over 40 years. You know, President Carter in 1979, the Department of Education, we need to reform government. You know, this is Groundhog Day on steroids. <laughs> and here we're having the same conversation. Now, why? And this is what I don't get. Public educate the people that are so public education only. Stop and think, please, for the love of God. Because, OK, you can if I get voted out and my opponent gets voted in, what do you think is going to change? Is, is government going to quit regulating teachers? No. Government, it, it, you're going to have a different color dress. Mm-hmm. It is all. But we have to think outside the box and give teachers, give parents choice, give teachers freedom, and let more market-based, you know, um, ability come into it. And I, and that's what I wanted to get to with, with, with going through all of that murky water is the fact that, again, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe your attacks are on the government-run system, the system, not on teachers personally. No. And, and and some of the other groups have kind of taken that as, an, as a personal attack on teachers. And, and I'll be honest, and, and I'm sure I'll have some people stop by my office later this week and say, how did you do that? How did you say that? But I have sat down and talked to you twice now on recording. We've, we've done it and recorded it. I don't feel that way, that, that you're out to, to kill us as educators and you think that all of us do a horrible job. I think you feel like we're, we're being graded on or we're being evaluated in a system that we're not, we're not given the opportunity to be successful. Bingo. I'm, and, and I'm consistent on this. I mean, I've never wavered and I've never changed. So my, my beliefs are founded on the constitutional principles of individual rights. Okay, and again, when I was elected in 2012, I asked to be on the education committee. I'm not an educator. I'll be the first one to tell you. Okay, but I'm fighting to get government out of, you know, from controlling you to the degree possible that we can. Because I know, and I've studied history, and I, I, I love what the founding fathers left us, but we are just muddying it up so badly by regulation and, and over, you know, bureaucracy and people who are elected now hopefully i'll get elected again but you know that's up to the people to decide who they want to send to represent district 69 up to indianapolis i get elected again okay you're stuck with me for another two years but here's the thing try to look at it from from my view when you look at the facts you know just that little tidbit you know they're arguing over 1.7 million when the grand scheme of things that goes in the general fund it's a buck 70 a kid okay really you're going to make an issue out of that or getting parents involved isn't that what you guys what teachers want don't you want parental involvement great now if if i were a teacher just like in my business stay out of my way let me do my job and i I love competition because i feel competition makes me look that much better that's how confident i am in my product and service 
Okay, and it's hard for me to not understand why anybody else wouldn't think like that. As a teacher, if you're confident in your abilities, why do you want 150 people up there telling you what to do and changing their mind every two years? You know, how many times have you seen on my post, just let me teach? Mm -hmm. Just let me, that's what I'm trying to do. that's, That's exactly what I'm trying to do, so... All right, I'm going to move away from from the seriousness. I think we, I, I really think we we did a nice job with with those two big issues. But I got, mm-hmm. I got four. Here we go. Totally <laughs> outside of left field questions. Um, just general things. Getting to know Jim Lucas a little better. Okay. What's your favorite restaurant in District 69? I tell you what, Indiana Spike and Rail and Vernon. I was hoping you were going there because oh that place is unbelievable. I, he, you've been there. I've not been there yet. He keeps saying that we need to go. But. Their duck fat fries are to <laughs> uh, give me a five gallon bucket of those and a couple of their beers. I'm happy. Oh man, Too that funny. place is. Mark Dean has got that place going. Mark Dean rocks the house, and you know what? It's really cool. You talk about the American dream. His family's working in there. Um, he goes around to all the customers. It just the first night we went in there, I felt at home. And and Mark and Nash, you know, his chef, mm-hmm. they they knock it out of the park with not just their food is is awesome. I'll put their food up against anybody in Indianapolis. Um, their service is great. I love that type of atmosphere of, of restaurants, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you go in there and, and Mark's just, he makes you feel at home. And, you know, his wife, Jamie, comes out and uh, um, Got to, he has his kids working for him, which is, you know, as a small business owner, nothing like uh, free labor, indentured servants, you know, your children. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, no, it's, it's, it's great. All right. Awesome. What's your hobby outside of, outside of you know, all the education you're doing and, and being at the state house and, and your small business? What's your, what's your hobby outside of that? Oh, Lord. I, right now it's work sleep, <laughs> I, I, which I'm kind of a boring person um, be, because – Politics is my passion. I, I really have gotten bitten by the bug, but it's the business that pays the bills. So, you know, I do a lot of work there. My son started working for me full-time this year, and that's been a tremendous help. Hopefully uh, um, get him positioned if he wants to take over the business, and that will free me up to maybe get in more in politics. But, you know, I love to go to the range, shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, Accuracy Unlimited. They have a really nice indoor range. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, great, great staff there. Great, beautiful facility. Brandon, safe, very safe. Um, Freetown, um, South Central Gun Club. They have a really nice outdoor range. But, but again, right now it's just work sleep. <laughs> Favorite movie of all time? Ben Hur. All right. Ben-Hur. Wow. Fa- oh. That was a quick response. Oh, look, it drives my wife nuts. I, I tease and I say, hey, it sounds like a good Ben-Hur night. <laughs> but, you know, a, a, a good movie like Ben-Hur, they, they don't make them anymore. It's a journey. You, know, you sit down and, and uh, no distraction, and it, you, you take your thinking hat off, and you sit there and be entertained. But it, it's a beautiful journey with a great story, and it's just it's timeless. <laughs> All right, last one. If you were, uh, if you were on a de- deserted island... What album or what band music? What what would you have? Oh my god, all eighties, all eighties, eighties. Uh, I'm a big psychedelic furs flock of seagulls. Um, I know people are going; they're rolling their eyes right now. My my daughter's <laughs> probably aghast, but but I tease I tease my family that that's what uh, they play up in heaven is all eighties. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I've I never love- heard that before, but I like it. <laughs> All right, last question I'm going to leave you with, Jim, and then we're going to wrap up is okay. why are you the candidate that on when, if they're voting early, um, 
or if they're going in November 6th, why are you the candidate that they should vote for? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, people know where I stand. I mean, I'm consistent on my messaging. I, I'm a firm believer. I hate the two-party system, Republican, Democrat, because I think people have attached too many labels to them. That What do they stand for anymore? I don't think anybody can tell you. I'm a constitutionalist. And the beautiful thing about a constitution is it all it protects everybody's rights equally. It doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, um, black, white, rich, poor, straight, gay, male, female. We all share the same equal rights. So as a constitutionalist, you know, that, that applies to us equally. Um, I have a very good message. You know, the rights I'm taking, gun rights, I, people can agree to disagree on that, but uh, strong messaging on the, uh, the, the industrial hemp, cannabis issues, education. Again, we can agree to disagree on some things, but I'll, I'll talk to anybody anytime, anywhere, and I think I can back up my beliefs. And I listen. You know, and as I said earlier, I've evolved after being up there six years and, and seeing how the state house actually works and listening to teachers and mm -hmm. people that do this every day. I, if, if you don't evolve and change your way of thinking, then I, probably it's, it's time to find something different. But if nothing else, um, I'm not afraid to get in the middle of the mix and duke it out, you know, and I fight for what I believe in. And when I say fight, I'll, I'll stand up and work for it. You know, I'm not up there just to be an antagonistic to everybody. Um, there's things that I, I have a, a very firm foundational belief in, and I will, you know, I'll walk through fire for it. And, you know, that's one of the things that attracted me when I joined the Marine Corps. You know, I think people are wired in certain, you guys were attracted to teaching because you wanted to teach. Okay, I joined the Marine Corps because that appealed to me. That, mm -hmm. you know, uh, take the gloves off, you know, point A to point B is a straight line, and you, you reach the objective at, at all cost. Well, up there... You can't really mix that with the political arena because, you know, the things move at the speed of government up there. It drives you nuts sometimes. <laughs> but if I can accelerate that a little bit on some important issues for everybody, then that's I, I really get a lot of satisfaction out of it in, in helping people. I love helping people and serving them. And I want to I want to wrap up with this. And I, I do want to say, and, and again, I've made some jokes about me not being so popular when I go back to work tomorrow, but. But I want to say thank you because I do appreciate your honesty. And, and like yeah. I said, we have sat down a couple times now and had some some really good conversations. And I appreciate your honesty. I will be the first to say that um, I won't follow the train. I'll say that I think that you are outside the box because when you took up medical cannabis and industrial hemp, that wasn't a popular Republican stance. No. <laughs> um, I mean, it, which is hilarious to me because... You know, when you kind of started doing that and people were like, this this Jim Lucas guy is, is talking about cannabis. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, so I will say I, I, I won't be the person that will try and put you in a box and define you because I don't think that's what you are. And, and what I would say, and I know last time you were here, you told me anybody out there that's got a question instead of just questioning you or just wondering to pick up the phone and call you and ask you and 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 i'll be the first to say i've i've done it twice and asked you to come out and you have been more than gracious <laughs> to come out and, and be on the show with us and right. and i wish you the best of luck uh november 6th and if you are back up at the state house um i hope these conversations continue as you uh as you serve us well to to kind of assuage the heat that you might be getting from your fellow teachers <laughs> let's get together get a, you know those that i'll meet with them We'll get a group together and we'll some evening we'll go out somewhere maybe spike and rail i love it <laughs> you know we'll go there and, and we'll uh we'll have a good discussion 
and I'll I'll meet with anybody. So I'd I love to talk it. to him. All right, Jim. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. That was great. Welcome back again to part two of Married with Children this week. Again, uh, just wrapped up uh, with talking to current uh, District 69 House of Representatives member uh, Jim Lucas, now talking to his opponent in the upcoming election, um, Steve Schottmer. And Steve, I really, really appreciate you coming down and joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Dustin. I appreciate it. And I'm going to start with the idea of just why did you decide to run? Well, my path is not the traditional path. Uh, I retired from the post office back in June of 2015. My girlfriend at the time, she passed away last year. She had a stage four colon cancer and it was getting, you know, kind of rough. So it was better if I just retired to take help take care of her. So uh, anyway, um, at the time that she was, she was still okay. And we had this delusion that she was going to keep on going like the Energizer mm-hmm. buddy, bunny, but she didn't. But anyway, uh, uh, when I retired, I became active in the Democratic Party in Bethlehem County because I live on the very bottom edge of Bethlehem County. just right across. The, we can throw a rock across the border. Okay. But anyway, um, uh, so they were talking to me about running. And I was, I was talking, and I was kind of interested and became a precinct committee chairman. And I was doing that stuff that precinct committee chairman do. And then uh, uh, last year, my girlfriend became very ill. It's almost, again, you know, it's, you know where this song is going and you know where this road is going, but we always had this illusion that, you know, she would just keep on ticking because, you know, the doctors tried to send her on to hospice like three times. And I wow. spent 35 years as a union officer of the American Postal Workers Union. So I'm really good at debating. I'm really good at, mm-hmm. you know, making my point and so, and being an advocate. And so I was an advocate for her. And so twice I, um. Uh, was able to talk to surgeon and to not that it's not true this is not where we're at but the third time and she always said that Mary Lou Mayer that's her uh, it was her oncologist from Greenwood if she said it was time then she wouldn't fight it anymore I was still wanting to fight some more but she said no and so then she passed away on June the 11th and uh, right after that the Democratic chairman came to me and said you know now that your table is clear would you like to run and I just told him no I said, uh, I'm just too hollow. Mm-hmm. And it's like I say, if you've ever been there, you know exactly what I mean. But then in December, you see, with her story, when we first started dating on our very first date, she told me she only had three to five years left. And she didn't want to be around sadness. She wow. Wanted to, she wanted to enjoy herself and be, mm-hmm. have a good time. And I, you know, with what little time she had left, and I said, well, you know, that sounds like me, sweetie. I think we can do okay. <laughs> so we did. We traveled a lot. And she's she's an American citizen, but she was of Japanese descent. Okay. So I took her back to Japan twice and went to Las Vegas a few times. Our little hidden hideaway place was there at, a, at a, oh, a, a, mm, Prince Lick. The, oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that, the one with the, the round one, you know. Uh, uh, the the West, dome. Uh, yeah. it's West Baden? Uh, West Baden. Yes. That was our little secret hideaway. Okay. In fact, uh, that first New Year's, we uh, went and stayed there at West Baden, and uh, we were there for three days. And we, we were up all night, 
at the uh, hotel just doing what we're doing and we wound up taking the trolley down to the old hotel and we sat in the lobby and we woke up like at noon <laughs> we oh. slept in the lobby for three hours we both thought we were vagrants <laughs> <laughs> but anyway uh, so uh anyway th- then uh, after three years though her doctor told her rose you you can't work anymore and so she went on disability and she went from making a you know a decent paycheck down to getting 750 a month mm-hmm. and 75 dollars in food stamps that's what she got but in indiana you qualify for medicaid if you're within 138 percent of poverty and that was at what mike pence had negotiated and uh so she qualified for that and and that qualified her for medicare and those two together paid for everything when it came to her treatments so she went through like five rounds of chemo 28 radiation treatments but instead of dying in three to five she lived for seven wow great wow so you see it was in it and uh, but what really terrified her toward the end and of course they kept on talking about repealing the medicaid expansion which would have meant she'd lost her insurance so here she's fighting cancer tooth and nail and Mm -hmm. as far as she thinks at the time that she's winning because the cancer would go away it always came back but it'd go away you know, her CEA count's going down. Her tumors are shrinking. And what do you think it would have been like if she'd have gone to her doctor? And they said, sorry, Rose, we can't treat you anymore. You know, your insurance has been canceled. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when she finally passed away on June 11th, they asked me to run. I just told them no. But then in December, they passed that big tax cut. Rose, and that bottom 20% would have gotten an extra, they, they do get $60 more a year. The top 20% get 65.3% of $1.5 trillion. I didn't care for that too much. I I didn't, but one way or the other. But Paul Ryan goes to the mic because he has to pay for that now. And he says, and next year we're going after Medicaid and Medicare. How can you look at the elderly, the working poor, the working class, the sick and disabled and go, there's too much cream on that saucer. Let's scrape that back and give it to these guys up here because they need it so badly. So I picked the phone up and called Bob and told him I'd run. So my path is not your traditional path. Mm-hmm. I've spent my life as an advocate, and then I spent my last few years advocating for Rose. And my Rose is not the only Rose. Mm-hmm. So when we, and that's I, that's an unbelievable story. Yeah, I, I want to start there because, you know, I think that any time that you that somebody is is has a passion to go do something mm-hmm. and has a reason like that um there's a that that's a that's a great spot to start so that's, yeah that's where that's where i come from and i always try to tell people that i come from my perspective my positions are based on two perspectives i believe that we are a shared nation you know we've always been in it together you know we're not a you have to pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of guy nation we're in it together and always have been. And I also believe uh, very deeply in the, in the uh, working class and the middle class. Mm-hmm. I think that too many times anymore, it's all about these guys at the top mm-hmm. and not about us anymore. That's where the shared nation concept. So we used to always be a tribe. We, you know, nations form out of tribes. That's why they're, they're, nations are ethnic because they form from tribes. So that's why in Poland you speak Polish. In Italy, you speak Italian. In Germany, you speak German. But see, we're not an ethnic tribe. 
you know, we are, we are a shared nation. We, we're, we are formed around, we're called a, a creedal nation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That's our creed. We are a creedal nation, not an ethnic nation, and that's what makes us a shared nation. Mm. Very rare in this world because of that. So what issues outside of the Medicaid, Medicare, what, what other issues are you, are you passionate about? What other issues do you find that, that you think are a priority um, if you're elected and you're right. in, in the state house? Well, there, my three issues are, are, are like you said, health care. But then uh, uh, public education, I think, is being bled dry. There's a, I recommend everybody a review or watch this documentary. It's called Rise Above the Mark. It came out just a few years ago. And in it, <laughs> they talk about how things are just going really south for public education. In 2002, we spent about $108,000 per classroom of 22 students. This is what we did. But by, in 10 years, by 2012, it had fallen to 82,000, just in 10 years. And then if you look at the ISTEP scores, in 2013, 85% of our students passed the ISTEP reading test. Last year, only 75% did. And if you saw the ISTEP scores that came out just a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, less than half passed the reading and, ma- and math test together. So, and, and another way to look at the funding, we spend $8,500 per pupil in Indiana. That's what we spend. The national average is 12000 That brings us in 49th out of the 50 states. So, I mean, there's all sorts of ways to spend education. But if you're not spending money on something, you're, and we have a $1.8 billion surplus in our treasury, and what I try to, ex- how I try to explain to people, it's not, I don't think, from good fiscal responsibility or fiduciary control of our monies. It comes from underinvesting in ourselves and in our children. And, and to be totally uh, clear and, and, and open, um, my wife is a is a public school uh a high school teacher math teacher and i am a i'm a public school principal um so we are we are both public educators yep. so just to be clear and out there um we are both both on on that uh didn't know that in that Good job yeah so <laughs> i i wanted you to at least know that part that we are both uh in that realm no uh, i was singing to the choir here yeah and, and, and spent our life doing so so um so, so I'll ask this because obviously, you know, we just finished up with Jim and Jim right. has a different, you know, perspective on where education needs to go. When you talk about fully funding public education, where do you think that extra, you know, let's say if we took it to $12,000 a pupil and put us on the average, mm-hmm. where should that $3,500 be spent? It, it's really easy, actually. You see, we do things, and remember, we have a supermajority Republican legislature, okay? Everything, and we've had a Republican governor for 14 years. And by, I, I want to explain supermajority. We have 100 state house seats. They have 70. You only need 51 to pass anything. In the state Senate, there's only 50 seats. They have 41, 82%. A supermajority, a quorum is 35. They can tell all nine Democrats and the six Republicans, they don't like that. They had to leave the room, and they can still can, can, can conduct business. That's how overwhelming it is. So right now, 
the Democrats can't even lay in front of the tracks. (laughs) 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 So, um, and, and power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. It doesn't make them bad people. It just means they can do anything they want to do. And what Republicans want to do is to help big business and the, and the rich elite. That's just what they do. Democrats try to work, fight for the working class. Well, if you had five people from each side sitting at a table, they're going to come up with a compromise. <laughs> You're not going to get that at this table because everything's taking place in Republican caucus. You see, the Democrats meet in Democratic caucus, Republicans meet in Republican caucus. And then you go to the hearing, the meeting room, and then you, you, you vote on it. Well, everything that's going to be done is already decided. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be... And so the people who are concerned about, you know... Uh, uh, tax breaks for these guys up here or and there's, there's two, remind me about tax breaks we need to talk about that but <laughs> but uh they're going to look out for these guys that's what they're going to do and they're going to talk about it being a, a i'll go into it now they're going to talk about it being a tax break for the middle class this is a great thing okay fine over the last few years they cut taxes from 3.4 to 3.3 to 3.23 that's the current rate if you're working minimum wage 40 hours a week, you literally saved 50 cents from that, those two tax cuts put together. And the Democrats told the Republicans, this is stupid. This is a stupid tax cut. No one's going to recognize it. Well, so if you made seven twenty-five an hour, you get 50 cents. You make double that, fourteen fifty. you saved a dollar a week. Twenty-one seventy-five. you saved a buck fifty. You can now go to a vending machine and buy one of those big Coke. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. But if you're the CEO of Aetna, the largest publicly traded corporation in Indiana, you made $14 million in 2015. You made $16 million in 2016. And I didn't know what he made last year, so I would tell the story and I'd say, and let's just say he made $18 million last year. From that minuscule tax cut, he would have saved $30,700. That cup of coffee to him is $30,700. So that tax cut was meant for the rich and elite. So... Then they turned around this year and raised gas tax 10 cents a gallon, or they did it last year too. Then in the short session, they increased it another penny every year till 2024. But let's just go for the 10 cents. Let's just talk about that. So you're working minimum wage. You're, you save 50 cents from that tax cut. And let's say you have to put 20 gallons of gas in your car each week. After the first five gallons, the next 15 gallons are a tax increase for you. Mm-hmm. So you're making 14.50 after the first 10 gallons. It's all a tax increase. If you're making twenty-one seventy-five, which is a decent wage, the next five gallons are a tax increase. You have to make twenty-nine dollars an hour and only use twenty gallons of gas to break even. If you're the CEO of Aetna and you put a hundred gallons of gas in your tank each week, you paid an additional ten dollars in gas tax. It's only fifty-two weeks in a year. That's five hundred and twenty dollars. You get to keep thirty thousand two hundred dollars. But I looked. The CEO of Aetna didn't make. 18,000, 18 million last year. He made 34 million. So in other words, we raised taxes on everybody except for these guys. We cut them for them. And that's where when power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we're going to, for some reason, we have to make it so much easier on these guys. And why don't, why do we feel the need to pass that burden onto the working class? It makes no sense. And if there was a balance at the state house, they wouldn't get away with it. But when everyone sitting around the table agrees with that's the right path to take, that's the path they take. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really kind of simple. Why do you think that that is, you know, 
the path because it, it surprises me that like I understand on the national level why some of these guys because they're connected to these businesses but for the local guy who's running just as a, a state rep why do you think that they desire because they're not they're not getting that back the way that some of these national guys are it's the it's 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 their fault and it's, in the state of Indiana it's their fault it's their fault because they gerrymandered it. It's like, I'm the first Democrat to run against Jim Lucas in six mm -hmm. years. What they did was they made these districts, like if you're in Indianapolis, the Demo uh, only a Democrat could win that election. You see what I'm saying? For those two or three houses, that's, that's only a Democrat's going to win. So it's called cracking and packing. In 2008, after Obama won, the Republican Party was going away forever. That was the, the you know, tagline at the yeah. time. So they invented a program called Red State. And Red State, they actually nuclearized the redistricting process because, like, let's pretend that this is, you know, the board here, and this is a district right here. They can take this program, they can click on this little district, and then they can reset it, and they'll see what the Democrat-Republican ratio changes to, precinct by precinct by precinct by precinct. And so they crack. So that, like, that's what they did with my precinct. I live in 5400, Precinct 5400. That's half of, of a Sand Creek Township. For some reason, or they wanted to split my township. I don't know, maybe they saw a lot of corn rows and soybean fields and they thought, there's a lot of Republican votes, which is probably what they did. Yeah, <laughs> so <probably>. so <laughs> they, they needed to increase that up some and they made it so lopsided that now, if, if the Republican isn't, to be kind of silly, raving crazy, on the right side, he can't get elected. He'll be he'll be primaried. It's just that simple. So if the districts are more moderate, then the more moderate candidates can succeed. But right now in the Republican primary, like you take, like I really like Frankie. Mm -hmm. I really like Frankie. She didn't have a chance because the district is so red. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now in the Democratic primary, she done pretty good. And that's that's the problem, that they crack it and pack it so much that, you know, unless you have all these uh, boxes checked on the far right side of the ledger, you're going to be primaried. And so you're going to vote for the right to work law. You're going to vote for all these things that are going to be overturned by the Supreme Court later on because you got to make your, your far right base happy. Mm -hmm. You're going to spend all kinds of money on those sort of things because you got to make them happy because if you don't vote for that, you'll be primaried and you will lose. So... We need to shift these districts back, even for, for the Republican Party to survive as a Republican Party. You need both parties to survive. Mm -hmm. and, you, and one of them can't be loony crazy. And so, and I think right now, with the way they've made our districts, like, the, the, like I said, the, the Democratic districts are very Democratic. So the, the far left, left guy is going to win that district. And then all these Republican districts are far right guys going to win. So it's just it's pulled us apart to the the extremes. It's not right. the moderate. And I think I think that's a, I, I agree 100 percent. I think that's across the board because right. the 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 previous moderate Democrat or moderate Republican, they don't hardly exist anymore. They, they really cannot exist in the current system. They can't. And so. Now, don't get me wrong. Like if you go to these other states, you'll see that more well, the Democrats have control. They they they're gerrymandered too. Mm -hmm. It's just that the the Democrats didn't. Uh, we weren't on the losing end of the stick in two thousand eight, so we didn't uh, nuclearize. 
that option because we didn't need to. We were Democrats were doing great. So when they created the, the red state program, they were the first to nuclearize it. And they, they targeted all these states. Indiana was one of them where they had the governorship and they had the state senate. So they wanted to be able to pick up the third house for the centennial so they could then gerrymander that 2010 year. So like North Carolina and Indiana were on their sheet. And so they, they uh, poured tons of money into the election in 2010 and then they won because it was the second year after the presidential election. Mm-hmm. And that, that, well, like this year, and that a lot of Democrats should win. Now they're competing on a tilted board because all the districts are gerrymandered now. So even though the Democrats will probably do really well, the pers- they'll, they'll, they may, their percentages will go way up, but they're still competing in districts that are 20 points the other way now because of the way they've been gerrymandered. So if it was an even kill, the Democrats would just phew, would blow them all away. Now they're going to w- pick up a lot of seats, but it's hard to tell how, what that will be because it's on a different playing field now than it was in 2010. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So so what are, what are the other issues that, that you're focused to, on? To me, the biggest issue, it's, what's that Lord of the Rings thing? goes the ring that <laughs> controls them all is wages you know we're talking about how you're gonna pay for this steve how you're gonna pay for this well one thing we remind me about the opioid crisis we do that right and we'll save millions of dollars a day but but uh when it comes to wages since it's <laughs> it's kind of like going with my precious the republicans are looking out for these guys the guys at the very top i know mm-hmm. that they can't see me on radio but i got my hand raised by my head <laughs> looking out for these guys and so if you lift wages, I want them to, uh, re- well, we need to lift the minimum wage and tie it to the rate of inflation gradually. We need to repeal the right to work law, and that would allow unions to, to better organize and, 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 and unionize places in the state, and we need to reinstate the common construction wage. Now, all three of those, your audience may not understand what all three of those would do, but there's a whole strata of wages through here. And when you, if you did all three of those, they would slowly lift wages, and these lower wages act as an anchor for the entire 80% we're talking about. So wages would slowly go up because, let's say you're the foreman in the mm-hmm. shop, okay? And they, uh, my wages go up a dollar or $2 or $3 an hour, whatever it is over time. They're going to have to raise your wages too. Mm-hmm. It's simple. I mean, when I used to, we just negotiate contracts there at the post office for wages. And my supervisors would come out and they'd say, well, I hope you guys kill them in negotiations. And I said, why is that? He says, because I know I'll get the same thing you get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how it works. So as these wages go up, everyone's wages go up. And it, there's a study. The, the Indiana Institute of Working Families came out with a study about six weeks ago now. And <laughs> it said that the wage disparity in Indiana is growing faster than any other state in the Midwest. In fact, the top 1% earns 17.3 times the remaining earnings of the the rest of the 99%. Wow. And that where Indiana used to be a wage leader in the Midwest, now we should no longer be compared with other Midwestern states because we trail other Midwestern workers by $2,100 a year. So from now on, we should be compared with southern states because southern states like the right to work law and they they don't believe in worker protections either just like indiana now mm. so we should be compared with them guys however even if you do that we trail southern workers by a thousand dollars a year our wages have been brutally crucified 
by the Republican supermajority. It doesn't make them bad people. They're just doing a great go- job with their constituencies, these guys at the top. There was a study came out in August of last year. Our manufacturing employees, it, it's the annual survey of manufacturers, and it was a 10-year study. In 2005, our factory workers, on average, were the sixth best paid in the nation. By 2015, 10 years later, they'd fall on 25 spots. Oh, wow. <laughs> when, when they repealed the common construction wage, the Midwest Economic Policy Center out of Cleveland did a study. They looked at the year before the repeal and the year after the repeal. And what the common construction wage does is it sets, really, it's kind of an arbitrary figure, but they set a figure. Like, let's say I went and looked it up to see what they were paying back in 2013. And if you worked on it, it was like 252. There's a bridge on 252 that was being worked mm-hmm. on. And a common laborer got like $22 an hour with $12 fringe, fringe benefits. So it was like $34 package. Mm-hmm. But that's a livable package. And the reason why they had that is because if, if, we're, if we have our own construction company, we're going to try to get skilled workers to work for us. So we're going to pay them a decent wage. We're going to pay them that wage anyway. What that does is if an out-of-state company wants to come compete with our company, they have to pay this wage. They can't just bring in anybody. Mm-hmm. They got to compete with this wage. But when they repealed it, the guaranteed wage dropped to seven twenty-five an hour, so they could bring anybody in. And I don't mean to mean that in the, the disparaging word, but they can bring anybody in to compete with these work. This work anymore. So anyway, their study showed that in the first year after the repeal, our construction workers, based on depending on skill, lost eight and a half to 15% of their wages in that first year alone, where neighboring states like Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio, who still had the common construction wage, saw a 2.8% increase. That's nearly an 18% gap in one year. And then when the Republicans did it, <laughs> I know I'm laughing because it's just so silly. When the <laughs> Republicans did it, they said, this is gonna increase productivity in Indiana if we do this. Well, I'm a union guy. You go around getting my people's wages, they're not gonna work harder for you. But anyway, uh, what was so weird about the study was it showed that productivity did go up in Indiana. Now, maybe it was due to mechanization or something. Mm-hmm. The productivity did go up 4.8%. It's just that in Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio, their productivity went up 9.8%. So all that happened was Hoosiers made less money. So the Republicans are crushing wages in Indiana. In fact, let me, please let me tell you about the right to work law. The, my union in 2012 loaned me to the state AFL-CIO for six weeks to fight the right to work law. And so I scheduled the meeting. You may not know these guys, but Milo Smith was a state house representative out of Columbus, Columbia mm-hmm. County. And then Greg Walker was a st- state senate representative out of Columbus and Greenwood. That was his area there. And I took um, the president of the Diesel Workers Union and the president and vice president of the office committee union. And we sat down and talked with them. And I gave them, I gave both Milo and Greg a copy of a study that had just come out from the University of Notre Dame, their Higgins Labor Studies Program. It was hot off the press. It was like a week old. And the study said that it, right to work states, their employees in those states, whether they belong to a union or not, will make $1,500 less per year, period. And there was five of us there because I had one guy from my union with us too. We were stunned. Milo Smith and Greg Walker both leaned back in their chairs and they go, you know, we think that's right. And we think that's good. Hand to God. 
we think that's good, which that's the Republican perspective. We think that's good because now corporations from other states want to relocate to Indiana to take advantage of and read the word exploit when I say that, the lower wages in Indiana. And I was going to, that was something I was going to ask your opinion on because I know that this, um, our current governor and um, our current politicians in the state of Indiana have really pushed that look at the manufacturing job increase that we've seen in the state of Indiana. But would would your opinion tie that back to they've made it so cheap to come here that they, it's worthwhile? They, they're coming to what's becoming a third world country, third world country wages. And if you don't believe that, you know, I've been knocking on doors all around the, the 69. And the number of people that you see, and when I was talking to this one lady, I knocked on her door. And it was over at Country Square Lakes. And as I was talking to her about, she, her husband worked at a... Uh, Oh, an apartment complex in Columbus and made $14 an hour. And she was taking care of her two grandkids. And as I was talking to her, I noticed her door was hung together with bungee cords. And you, you, you know, you keep on knocking on doors, keep on talking to people. I talked to, in Crothersville, I talked to a lady who was four and a half years into a five-year life expectancy. She had a brain tumor. She was on Medicaid. And she blames that for having destroyed these three teeth in her, because they had to radiate the brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't get anybody to take her Medicaid to get those three teeth pulled. She didn't want to suffer the last six months of her life. Mm-hmm. Now, she's still living. The last I talked to her, she's still hanging in her. Then I went right around the corner and I talked to an 81-year-old woman. She's on Medicare, makes $12 too much to get Medicaid. She has no upper teeth. So she said, if I had a upper teeth, I could eat better, but... And she didn't say, but I'm assuming she's eating peanut butter or she's eating baby food or she's pureeing her food. Mm-hmm. And I talked to her daughter, and her daughter said that if it wasn't for me, she'd already lost the house. And, you know, when you go around and knock on these doors, you find out these people are $12 away from now that tax cut. If you want to, go, if any of us want to go out and buy a Learjet, our own personal jet, that's a tax deduction. But we couldn't find a way to help these people on the very edge that are just barely surviving. Mm-hmm qualify for anything more and if anything we're going to try to cut them I, I think well if you heard uh, what was his mitch mcconnell came out just the other day and said that they were actually literally they're going after social security medicaid and medicare it is not their problem that they're trying to fund that big tax cut for the wealthy that's all they care that's all they care about and it's okay for them it's that's okay that doesn't make them bad people they're simply looking out for their constituency and we have to balance that out or we're going to lose out and we're lo- we are the vanguard. Indiana is. Look at our public education system. They are crushing it. We're leaders in that field, man. We're doing <laughs> great. And in fact, one of Jim's, and there's been several people talk about it, these Republican legislators, they want to go away. That $8,500 I was talking about, they want to give that straight to the parent. So, like, let's say that you have four kids and, you know, you're, the wages out there suck. So, but you could stay home and, and homeschool your kid. What's four times 8500 Let me say here. That's more than I can make if I worked. I'm not paying for gas. That will destroy our public school system. We'll have nothing but charter schools and private schools left. It will destroy it. But that's the plan. They are totally, completely opposed to teacher unions, period. And that's the way we'll be the first state to lose our teachers' unions. We'll be the first state to lose our, our public school system. That's the plan. And I just look at it. What what's going to happen if you let you start giving these eighty five hundred dollar vouchers to people? Is there any other path? 
Well, in my community, that would absolutely be my concern is, Mm -hmm. is, you know, and I understand. And like I said, we just had Jim on and Jim did talk about that. And Jim talked about, you know, putting the pressure back on the parents to be involved. But my question is, you know, where does that, who's, who's policing those parents to make the right decision? Right. it, It comes back. It's real simple. Are we a shared nation or not? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It's our creed. It's what makes us a creedal nation, that you are endowed by your creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And what that means in a nutshell is, we'll let you pursue your dreams, whatever your dreams may be, and we'll try to see to it that you're healthy, safe, and free enough to do so. That's what that means. But not if you're trying to dismantle the entire system. Our forefathers believed in that. I believe in that. But we've broken down now. We're no longer a tribe. We're two tribes. We're the 80%, maybe even the 90%, maybe the 95%, and then these guys. And basically the Republican legislatures <laughs> have become minions <laughs> for this top 1%. What's that? <laughs> Vampires. You know, They have these, these humans that take care of them during the day, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know what you call familiars. I don't know what you call them, but... It's, and that's because they want to be vampires too someday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're doing what they can to take care of these super elites because I just might make it there too. Mm-hmm. And so it's no longer the shared concept. It's all about me. And that's, that's an American. That's not the American way. And I, and I would agree because I think it gets, and, and it's it, with the, manufacturing boom that has happened um here in the state of indiana which which i won't argue with them there mm-hmm. have been a lot of you know manufacturing jobs added but you know the other side of it with what i do is i hear from these employers all the time saying you got to find us workers you got to find us workers you got to find us workers and you know my argument is yes unemployment's at three percent right now um but uh even at only three percent in any generation, it's not that this generation's awful. Any generation, there's probably three percent that is not a great workforce. I mean, that's not that's not on the kids today. I mean, there's three percent, and I'm not I'm not throwing those people under the bus. Whether it's whether it's disability, whether it's uh, you know whatever you want to say, it three percent of the workforce is not going to be a great workforce. Three yeah, percent is full employment. So <laughs> that, that, that's what it is. We're at full employment now. But raises are still not going up. Right. I mean, it's just it's just tracking inflation. And what does that mean? Remember, we just talked about how wealth disparity in Indiana, or actually earnings disparity, is is going faster in Indiana than any other Midwestern state. That's because there's no upward pressure on wages. You know, we have so few unions. Uh, the last uh, study I saw said like 11% of all households are unionized households. Someone in the household belongs to a union. Now. Another study I said said I saw said that um, about almost fifty percent of public employees are unionized. So you know your teachers' unions, your policemen, your firefighters, your postal workers, your your state employees. We used to, our state employees used to be unionized too. So Mitch Daniels <laughs> pulled the plug on that sucker. So if you take out all those public employees out of that eleven percent, and you take out states like California, New Jersey, New York. Cities like Chicago and Atlanta, you pull all those unions out of that 11%. That number becomes so small. We'll look in our area. 
There really aren't any. You have Cummins, right? Mm-hmm. But they're an independent union. They're not an AFL-CIO union. So that the number of unions just shrink to virtually nothing. So there is no one out there fighting for upward wages. And even if there was, let's say you belong to a union shop, but all the people in the area are non-union. You cannot force wages up too far or you're just putting your people out of a job. Mm-hmm. That's why since we don't have unions out there like we need them, we used to have almost a 50% union workforce nationwide. Now, like I said, it's 11%. So without, without them putting pressure up, you have to find another way to do that. And the way you do that is by, like, you take minimum wage and you, you, you gradually increase it, but you tie it to the rate of inflation. And that pulls that bottom anchor out of the mud and lets these other wages go up. You repeal the right to work law, allow these unions. Like right now, let's say that I want to go talk to uh, the diesel workers union or the office committee. I want to go talk to them. So I talk to Big Meek. He's now the president over there. Or to Dennis Stewart. He's the president for the diesel workers. I want to talk to membership. Well, they used to have a closed shop. The right to work law did away with that. So they let this Democrat come in and talk to them. The next day they could lose 50% of the membership. That's what the right to work law does. It ties your hands. You can no longer represent your employees the way you want to because you can't afford to get them upset and to walk away. So there's all these different levels that hurt unions, but unions fundamentally do such a, a fantastic job for the working class that you know people complain about they don't like unions for this or that. Well, every organization, the teachers, the principals, the t- school teachers, unfortunately, we have to hire humans. We have to use humans. Mm-hmm. And we are all subject to, the, to what? I am, I am man, I'm, and I'm subject to man's flaws. So every organization is flawed. But we don't stop because we have to use humans. Right, right. And I, <laughs> and I grew up, uh, my father was a UAW member. Um, he was a millwright at General Motors for 30-plus years. And... and and, it, and it's been interesting for me because, you know, I grew up in that union household that it was preached. You know, you're a union member. And I remember when I got my first teaching job in 2008, my dad said, you know, make sure you join the union. I mean, there was no and, – and even in my mind, there was no ifs, ands, and buts about it. But because of some of the things that have happened over the last 10-plus years – it does start to make you question as a teacher. And I know why some young teachers don't come in and join because – that eight hundred dollars a year in dues, mm-hmm. when they're not seeing any raises, mm-hmm. that's that, that's a tough decision to make. And, and that's why when you have a a, a, a non right to work state, that's not a, no longer a decision, because I'm going to go and I'm giving something up to get that closed shop. You see, and if you don't want to join my union, fine. Well, you're going to pay agency dues then, because I still have to represent you. Mm-hmm. And so, like, let's say that you're a member, uh, Cali, mm-hmm. and let's pretend that. Alex there, as you remember, <laughs> but Dustin isn't, and Dustin gets fired. I can't say, sucks to be you, Dustin. I have to represent you, and if I don't, you can file a labor charge. And in fact, my union back in the, in the not my personal union, but it was actually a union officer in Louisville, won a, 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 a duty of fair representation case in front of the Supreme Court because the union president refused to handle a removal case for a guy. What happened was, this clerk and the supervisor walked up the stairway together. It was a blind corner going up the stairway. The next thing anybody knew was his supervisor came tumbling down the stairs. And the, the supervisor said, that clerk hit me. So they fired him. Well, the union filed a grievance on it. When it got to the local president, he just kind of laughed. We're not going to process this case. This is stupid. So he dropped it. Well, the guy filed a, a federal case against him. 
against the management and the union. It was the first time the union had to pay back pay. Oh wow! The union had, and that was that's a Supreme Court settlement. So you know when you, you see this this guy, he's a jerk of some kind. He's a low life scumbag. Why is the union representing him? Because they have to. Mm-hmm. It's a duty of fair representation. And if you don't, they can turn around and sue you. And not only will you he get his job back, but the union will pay his back pay. So people don't realize that you know unions serve a real purpose. And so everyone gets their day in court. You know, no matter <laughs> no matter who you are, what your political position is, no matter what how, how what people may think of you, right? You have your right to a day in court. And that's why unions are so important because not only do they give you that peace of mind at the workforce in the workforce that you can't be fired simply because you dated a supervisor's daughter and didn't work out, mm-hmm. but because you you also have that upward pressure on your wages and that that job security. And I'm going to ask you a couple other uh, points because I think that I, I want I think that Jim you know he has uh, some set things that that he's pushing. I want to get your opinion on those as well. And one of those is kind of, you know, CBD law mm-hmm. and medical cannabis and industrial hemp. Where do you stand as a candidate on those? I'm, I'm the typical Democrat when it comes to that, you know, he, he, he's some kind, sometimes he slides over to the right side. Um, if you have a tool in the tool chest that works, why would you not use it? I mean, you can't sell morphine on the street but the doctors can sure prescribe it for pain. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I and again, the reason why so many Republicans, this should have already been passed years ago, but the reason why they can't pass it and the reason why they still won't pass it is because of the Republican supermajorities. One of the things that I, I got the, at the Jackson County Fair, one of the biggest uh, arguments I got into, you really can't call it an argument, was one guy was complaining that he wasn't going to vote for Jim because he voted for CBD oil. He pushed it. Well, <laughs> I agree with you. That was a good call. <laughs> but it, he was on the far right of the religious spectrum, which it happens to be the Republican base. And that's the Republican base in every district. So, you know, if, if they support CBD oil, medical marijuana, they're going to hear it from their constituency because they simply do not agree and so if those bases if if those districts are more moderate then you're going to have you know it's not going to be as bad but since they're so right wing those Mm -hmm. red districts are so right wing they what you would think is just common sense stuff you know that's like with when it comes to industrial hemp we have we have farmers committing suicide at a record rate in indiana because they're the they're the fifth generation farmer to own that farm to lose it Mm mm-hmm and so they wind up being found out in a barn someplace. In Kentucky, who, who's, they passed the growing of industrial hemp. They make about $3,000 an acre. They brought in thousands of jobs and billions of dollars into the state, which is taxed. How are we going to pay for helping education? How are we going to help you know, pay for these things? Well, we're going to try to find ways to bring new tax revenue into the state. Like, for instance, if we're raising people's wages, they have more purchasing power, they're going to go out and have, there's going to be sales tax brought into the if they, if they uh, if they're raising their wages, they're going to have income tax that's going to come into the way, into the mm-hmm. state coffers. If we address the opioid crisis and do it properly, we spend eleven million dollars a day. Eleven in Indiana, that's what we spend. Eleven million dollars a day, and the most important way to address it is by trying to delay initial use. 
see like over 50% of all adult, that technical term is substance use disorder, drug addicts is what people Mm -hmm. commonly would call them, over 50% started between the ages of 13 and 18. So if you delay initial use, see what opioids do is they rewrite the hardwiring in the brain. So it becomes that your survival instincts. So it becomes more important than, than protecting your young, than seeking shelter, than drinking food, or drinking water or eating food. It becomes the most important thing. So if you can delay that initial use, and then if you realize that it's a brain disorder, then you realize it's a medical condition and not necessarily a criminal condition. If they're robbing, that's a crime. If they're knocking people over the head, that's a crime. But if you decide to treat it as a medical condition, we can cure it. NIH came out with a study in 2011, looking at 2007, and we spent $193 billion fighting the drug war. $113 billion of it was spent directly on, on the criminal justice system and crimes related to drugs. Only $14 billion was needed to treat it. $14 billion. So we could put some of that program two or three times, and we're still coming out money ahead because we were locking these people up, right? If, if we treat them, if we do... Work, work release or if we go to some treatment program, three things happen. The guy still has a job. He's still paying taxes. He's still supporting his family. He's not in jail. We're not spending $55,000 a year to keep him locked up. We're not taking his children away and putting them into foster care, mm-hmm. which costs us millions of dollars a day. Mm-hmm. But the third thing that's overlooked the most is we're eliminating future crime related to drugs. So you see, if we do it right, if we can, if we can just drop that from 11 million to 10, or 11 million to nine, well, one million dollars a day is 365 million dollars a year. We just freed up to help out in education or help out in the, you know, I'm trying to have more people covered with health care. Mm-hmm. We free money up by simply being smart. If we if we stop being solely focused on the these elite at the top of that income spectrum and find ways to raise wages. We're bringing more revenue into the state so we can again, we can put it toward education and the healthcare, the homeless problem. We have a, from right here, 20 minutes away, I know of two homeless encampments in, in Jackson County. I know of four in Bethlehem County. I know of one in Greensburg. It's outside of Greensburg, right across from the Delta Fawcett. And we can do better than that. Mm-hmm. We can do better. Let me ask you this: Is this is another um, strong uh, position for Jim? Where are you at with the Second Amendment and gun rights? I am a lifelong gun owner. <laughs> <laughs> I there am a <laughs> lifelong hunter. I have a lifelong gun, or have a yeah, lifelong gun permit. I've even been bear hunting in Canada. Man, that's something I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but I, this is something I mentioned in our forum the other day. However, when it comes to school safety, I do not think we should arm our teachers and turn them into uh, what, vigilantes, armed vigilantes at school. I would prefer that we have a, a modest expansion of the police force and have them patrol the schools. And the, Because, the one, <laughs> I know we use resource officers now. Mm-hmm. But I would prefer that we use trained, active professionals. So when a, the police come upon a scene, 
they don't have to try to differentiate between who's the the good guy with a gun and who's the active threat. So you let professionals do what they do best. Let teachers teach. Let the, let the police force protect and serve. And I think I think I'm boring, Alex. I don't think he is. No. <laughs> <laughs> <He's all right. laughs> Sorry, Alex. <laughs> yeah. You can go bear hunting with me next time, okay? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, I'm gonna we're gonna get ready here to wrap up. Um, but I I do have some kind of off the wall questions, sure. um, just for fun. Okay. Um, we did the same thing with Jim, just to uh, kind of mix it up a little bit after we've talked about the issues and the the serious stuff. So. What's your favorite restaurant in, in District 69? Where do you love to go eat? Um, I hate to actually admit to this. I go to McDonald's all the time. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't throw rocks. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, our four-year-old and you would be very good friends because yeah. he loves McDonald's. Too. Don't throw rocks at me, but I go there all the time. Well, well see, like every day I'm out canvassing. And I can go get their McChicken for a buck, mm-hmm. their Coke for a buck, and I can have two, three guys with me, and I spent $5. Yeah. I mean, let's just be real. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> no, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and, and she's exactly right. If if Alan was 14 years older, you'd have, you'd have just want to vote her right <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, what's your what's your hobby outside of of you know the political thing? I know you're you're busy with the campaign now, but what what's a hobby that you have? Well, I love to go. I have a 15-foot John boat with a 20-horsepower motor, and I, I'll go down to Azalea, mm-hmm. and I'll go like a mile or two down the river. Because as a child, we would go camping on White River mm-hmm. for like a week or two out of the all, all through the summertime, a week or two out of the summer. And we put out trot lines and trot lines, and uh, we'd catch. I think the biggest one we ever caught was like 45, 50 pounds, flathead. Wow. And we and we I remember one year when I was a little kid, we we have we we build these live boxes with wire frames around them, you know, to hold the fish in and mm-hmm. stuff. I remember one year we came home and we were also uh, uh, fishing for turtles, and uh, oh, we were out fishing for turtles, and we had drop lines in there, and it kind of reminded you of Jurassic Park because they had that old Super Eight projector, <laughs> yeah. and you could literally like twenty five or thirty turtles kind of walking away from the camera. <laughs> it was hilarious. So. I enjoy that that camping sort of life, and my brother and I going bear hunting in Canada was pretty cool. That's now, awesome. That was pretty cool. And what was really neat up there was, like, um, you would see grouse as you you'd walk around. Mm-hmm. You'd see grouse like on every other limb. It just was unbelievable. And then my brother and I, <laughs> we were just playful. So we would we rented one of their small boats, and we went across the, the lake and uh, it's nothing but rocks trees and water that's all that canada was at where we were at and uh or the front of our of the bow of our boat bumped into this rock you know it was a small island in the lake and these black flies lifted up it was like a blanket lifting up oh to the air gosh. so we put the motor in reverse and we backed <laughs> away real quickly but <laughs> it was downright scary i actually got bit the first time i went I got bit several times because like every third bite seems to be infected. And I wound up losing like 20 pounds uh, from that first hunting trip. Oh, wow. Then I went back to next year. But it, no, things like that, really common, simple things. I just love to be out in nature. I just loved. There's nothing better than to be sitting around a campfire on the river and have your, your fishing pole out in the water 
waiting for some channel cat to come by and snap on the line. Absolutely. As you can't beat that. So that's that's what I like to do. All right, favorite movie. Oh. Oh. Um hmm. It would be a science fiction movie. What's that one with uh uh oh uh where they go out and find that black hole out near Jupiter. Oh, um <laughs> Yes, that those sort of movies are my. I know, favorite. I know okay. what you're talking about, and I can't think of it now that you yeah. you brought it up. But um, I love science. Science fiction is my genre. That's what I, 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 I love science fiction. Very cool. And then uh, I had your mic turned off. Yeah. <laughs> so we lost it. Right <laughs> Sorry. <there. laughs> what's what, your What's your favorite band or album? What What do you listen to? Well, it it sucks. I you know they say that you're um, you remember what you can sing, all the songs from when you're 13 or 14. Those are the songs you know by heart. So this don't throw rocks at me, <laughs> but, but my favorite bands would be like the Eagles and mm-hmm. Bread. Okay, I, so you see what I'm saying? I, or, I, or Simon and Garfunkel. My, I, I have all the albums of Dan Fogelberg, and I, I used to a friend of mine, a Gary Rickenbacker. We used to go around to nursing homes, and we would play. He would play the banjo, and I would sing. I have, I have an okay voice, and I would play. The, I'd strum along with the guitar, and we would. We'd always sing Fogelberg uh, or uh-huh. at Christmas time we had all these Christmas songs we'd do. I'm kind of neat with a banjo. Very cool. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. Right. Well, Steve, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with this one, and this is the the question we'll wrap up on. When whether they're going into early vote or absentee ballot, or they're coming in Tuesday, November six, which I'm still one that. I have to vote on on election day. I mean, that's I, I know it's so much easier right. to do it the other way, but there's something about that Tuesday right. in November. So, right. why are you the candidate that we should vote for? Well, uh, even as 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 I said earlier, as a human, we all have flaws. We're 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 all weak, and we all see things from our own perspective. Right now at the state house, there's only one perspective. And to use bad English, I hate to say this in front of two teachers, it ain't ours. <laughs> so uh, there's a thick Democratic vein that runs through the 69th. We used to be heavily Democrat, and it's kind of slowly shifted to the right. And I'm trying to appeal to people to say, look, I've spent my life as an advocate fighting for people, fighting for, so they'd have their, their day in court. They'd have their chance to be offered the you know an opportunity for due process and just cause and when it came to my girlfriend you know i went out of my way to fight for her and some people are just built to do that some that's just how you are Mm -hmm. and i don't mind if the people want to vote for me i don't mind uh, giving them a few more years and doing my best to make sure that i will treat them as well or as well as i can just like i did with rose i'll be on their side too well, Steve, I want to tell you, and it's it. I want to first say thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I know for my wife and I, and like I said, I was I was laughing earlier because we were at a wedding last night, and I one of her family members asked me, said, "So what is this podcast thing you do?" And I said, and he said, "What what do you talk about every week?" And I said, "You know what? It is the craziest thing because we we." Two weeks ago, we did a weird food challenge. I told you before we went on the air, we had the Southern Indiana Ghost Hunters on here last week. And then and then to get to talk and sit down with guys like you, and, and I appreciate that. And, you know, that's what we wanted to do is is 
get to talk to people that are doing interesting things mm-hmm. and and you know hear their stories so i really appreciate you taking mm-hmm. the time out of your weekend to come down um and be on and i wish you the best of luck in the election and um whether it whether it works out the way you mm-hmm. hope or not i hope you continue to be mm-hmm. an advocate for absolutely. people. absolutely yeah, yeah. You know, like i told my mom you know to be really honest about it it it's, it's better for me if i lose because then i can be happy with retirement because if i'm elected I will have no free time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's just, that's my nature. And and knowing the way that you're wired, yeah. even though I know I would agree that it would be better if you lose, I know it deep down yeah. you're wanting oh, yes. to have no free time. Yes. yes. I, I'm a, well, if, if you have that, if, if in your core you care for people and you believe in people and you think we should all have our, our day in court, we should all have our shot, we aren't getting our shot. There's t- I've knocked on too many doors where you just feel, re- you, <laughs> I mean, they'll, they'll invite me in. They'll invite me in and they'll sh- uh, offer me a cup of coffee. And these people are poor and they're good as gold. But when you hear the other side talk about them, that's not the impression they want you to have. These somehow people are, are taking advantage of the system with what little meager, the, the <laughs> meagerness they're getting. Well, they need an advocate fighting for them. And I'm the guy for the job. All right. And, uh, you know, the thing I'll wrap up the entire episode here with is is if you're listening, no matter what, what you, you've heard from Jim, you've heard from Steve, um, both. And, and that's what we wanted to do is just present both sides. But no matter what you do or where your choice lies, go vote on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Make your right, uh, you know, execute that right and make sure that your voice is heard because you can't sit back and gripe about the way things are going if you're not out there executing your rights. So go do that. Um, I will be at the ballots on uh, on Tuesday, November yeah. 6th. And, <laughs> and like I said, Steve, I wish you the absolute best. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that, guy. We're going to do what we can. Thank you very much. Everybody, have a great week, and we wish you all the best.